This is the Lost Mountain Baptist Church podcast. We exist to help all kinds of people find and follow Jesus. For more information about service times, giving, and upcoming events, check out our website, lmbc.us. We hope you enjoy this week's message. We're going to be in the second chapter of the Gospel of Matthew this morning, one of the chapters that's very familiar uh, to us. If you are uh, a follower of Christ and you've been in church sometime, you're very familiar, um, at least um, at a surface level, uh, many of you at deeper levels, with um, chapter 2 of the Gospel of Matthew and the portion of the Christmas story that we find there. While you're uh, finding that or opening it on the app to the sermon notes section or, or whatever, I want to ask if you ever, um, have you ever bought something that before you bought it, you never really saw it anywhere? And then after you bought it, you saw it everywhere, right? Um, that's a, that's a, uh, an interesting and common human phenomenon. I know uh, a couple of years ago, just before we moved out here, we were in need of uh, a newer vehicle, and so we decided to get one that I would drive for a little while, and it would become uh, JC's after that as she turned 16. And uh, we looked around, talked with her, did some research, visited with people, and ended up getting a Toyota RAV4. And when I was at the Toyota dealership, um, looking at the used RAVs there, there were three uh, there that were different colors, and I asked her what she thought she wanted and said she didn't care, get whatever was uh, the best deal, and I did. Uh, it ended up being, uh, it's kind of a, it's a, um, a dark purple plum is what they call it, color, and I thought, huh, this is, and it was a newer color uh, in Toyota's line. I hadn't seen uh, any of those yet. We bought it, and then I began to see it everywhere, um, and I would think I saw myself driving, um, but of course it wasn't me because I was driving mine. Um, but now I'll see them regularly and think I see JC, but I don't. Sometimes, sometimes biblical texts can be like that. There's something lying just beneath the surface that we don't really notice that much until it's brought to our attention. Um, and then we can't help but see that when we read it. My hope is that um, part of what God does in, in your heart and in your mind this morning um, is something like that with the issue um, of darkness in the biblical text and in the text around Christmas. Let's look at Matthew chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. I'll refer past verse 12 this morning, but we'll just read verses 1 through 12. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And then they quoted Micah 5.2. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. 
When Herod summoned the wise men, then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. And they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. If you'll notice, a lot of the action points, uh, the pivot points of this story happen at night. They happen under the cover of night through God's guidance of a star. They happen at night through God's providential communication, through dreams. If we went on to, to read, uh, we would see uh, that God comes to Joseph at night in a dream. We saw that, John, that Jesus, or the Jesus, that God warned um, the wise men in a dream. We would see that Joseph takes Mary and Jesus, and they flee to Egypt ahead of Herod's persecution at night. There's so much that God does in our lives during periods of darkness. If you go back, and I'll just read for you, this won't be on the screen, but many of you will be familiar with these verses. I'll just read to you again the opening verses of Genesis, of the entire Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. I don't want you to miss that. I don't want you to miss the fact that darkness was covering the face of the deep, and yet God's Spirit was there. God's Spirit was present in the darkness. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was, and then don't miss this order again, and there was evening and there was morning the first day. Your day starts every day in darkness. Not with sunshine, but at night. And I think often we miss that. It's interesting if you think about how kids relate to darkness. You don't have to teach kids to be afraid of the dark, do you? They just come out that way. I was in the room some weeks back with Zeke and Zane putting them down to sleep, and Zeke was already asleep, and I was working on Zane, and he was about out, and he, he said something about who's going to take care of him and protect him in the dark. And I said, well, mom and I will. And then trying to encourage him to stay in his dark room instead of ours in the middle of the night, I said, um, but if you wake up and we're not here, that's okay. Just go back to sleep because Jesus is here. 
And he said, yeah, but I can't see Jesus, which is fair, right? It's fair. But no one has taught Zane to be scared of the dark. Last week, uh, one of the evenings I was going uh, to go out and try to walk. I wasn't feeling good. Zeke had been sick last week. Some of you with kids, you remember these days if your kids are already gone, how it starts with one and by the grace of God, the sickness works all the way through your house, one person at a time, about every two to three days. Well, it started with Zeke and then it flowed through me this week and now uh, Zane's home running fever. But one evening I just decided I, I want to go walk, see if I can feel better. And so uh, Karis was sitting in the living room. It was about 8 o'clock at night, and I said, hey, you want to go walk with me? Just go take a 30-minute walk. She said, no way. <laughs> she said, uh, it's dark out there. I said, yeah, let's go, though. She said, and get kidnapped and killed? No, thank you. <laughs> I said, I said I I'm there. She's like, whatever, Dad. So no faith in me. Um, that typically is how we think about darkness, whether it's physical darkness or the kind of metaphorical or seasonal or emotional darkness that we experience as human beings. But I want to remind you that God has purpose in darkness. God is working in darkness. Winter has a purpose, or it would always be summer. And when you look at the Christmas story carefully, both Luke's account and Matthew's account, you see God doing a lot in the darkness. And I, I want to say just as a, as a simple way of saying, this is what um, our time together is about this morning, is this one single statement. It's a, it's a full sentence, but I want to throw it out there to you and just say, even though it may be dark now, and for some of you, it's dark now. For some of you, every year, the holidays, for reasons you may not understand, and in ways you can't seem to control, it's just a dark time for you. Others are facing darkness in your lives in, in all kinds of ways that have to do with family issues, with financial issues, with mental or emotional health. And I want to say to you, though it may be dark now, God takes, God takes the care of his creation, including you, and the redemption of his people including you, and the restoration of all things in and through Christ, including you, very seriously, very seriously. God takes the care of his creation, including each one of you who represent as Genesis um, lays it before us, the pinnacle of God's creation as a living breathing, living, breathing human being placed in this temple of God's creation to bear his image to the rest of his creation. He takes the care of his creation very seriously. He takes the redemption of his people, a people marked out for himself to bear his name, to worship him, to declare his glory and his wonder to a world lost and fractured in sin, very seriously, including his redemption of you individually. And he takes the restoration of all things, all things, social structures, his physical creation, everything, including you, very seriously. He considers these and accomplishes them with great care and concern. 
And I want to push that this morning because when we look at Matthew 2, if you just read the Christmas story and you don't dig deeply into it, the wise men are an interesting thing to add, are they not? Like if you just took them out of, out of there, not much would be different. But part of what the inclusion of the wise men, the magi traveling from the east, Babylon or Persia, Part of what they um, call to our attention is the global nature of what God is doing in Jesus Christ. From the very beginning, it has always been about the world, not an individual nation or race. But we see there's a lot of turmoil. A little town of Bethlehem isn't lying there still and quiet. Herod is sending a force to Bethlehem. He has no intention of bowing his knee to this Christ child. And those forces really came. And they walked the streets of that little otherwise insignificant town. And they kicked down doors and they came in and they shoved their short swords through the chest of every child within the age that Herod had assigned them, and there was weeping, and there was community loss. You think about what it does to a small community now to have a school shooting. You think about maybe what it did to Bethlehem on that great day of violence visited on them at Herod's command. I know we didn't cover those verses. You can go on in 13, 14, 15, and on after that and see that. But as all of this is going on, you're watching God at work. You're seeing God reveal himself and his plan to a degree, in a way, to these foreign pagan astrologers who come curious about what's happening. It's not enough revelation. This general revelation has to get more specific. They have to come and say, hey, where do we find him? And then Herod has to bring the religious leaders in who knew the Hebrew texts and say, well, he's going to be born in Bethlehem. So God said through the prophet Micah. So the revelation had to get specific in God's word. But God's care of his creation, his redemption of his people, and his intention to restore all things. And this is really important. I don't want you to miss this. That part of what it means uh, to be redeemed, to be saved by God, by His grace through faith in Jesus Christ, is not that you're simply uh, united to Him and one day will spend eternity with Him. It's that you're united with Him and in your heart and mind and your life, He comes in and begins a full renovation. From that moment on, the third person of the triune God, the Holy Spirit, is working in you. He is cleaning house as you're walking with God in the Spirit. Let me bring this um, from the large to the specific, and then we'll go back to the large. God's purpose as we see playing out, and we remember each year at Christmas in the birth of Christ, really is unstoppable unstoppable. 
And it overcomes all obstacles. Let me say it this way. God's purpose can overcome what's been done to you. God's purpose can overcome what's been done to you. Some of you sitting here this morning are so haunted and so plagued by memories of what was done to you. Maybe in your home as a child or adolescent, maybe as a young adult when, you're found, when you found yourself in a situation that if you could go back, you would do anything in your power to not be there again. Maybe it's the betrayal of a friend. Maybe it's the loss of a job that you didn't have control over, but it caused your family's financial situation to spiral at someone else's hand. Whatever it is, God's purpose can overcome what was done to you. It doesn't matter what it is. And I choose the word can intentionally because healing and restoration is a partnership between you and God. It's not an equal one because you can do everything in your power and not heal. This kind of healing comes from God. It's a gift given through His grace, but He gives it to those who seek Him and walk with Him and obey Him and wait on Him. I want to call your attention back to Genesis chapter 21. If you'll remember the story of Abraham and Sarah. God had made a promise that through Abraham, his people would come. Through Abraham, he would create a great nation. They would be his covenant people. But it wasn't happening at the time that Abraham and Sarah thought it should, even though God had promised it. And if you remember, Sarah had a servant. Servant is a soft way of saying a female slave named Hagar. And Sarah was barren. She couldn't have a child. And she told Abraham, hey, Abraham, why don't you sleep with Hagar and we'll see if she conceives. Maybe this is how God's going to do this thing. God had said good and well how he was going to do that thing, but it wasn't happening in time. And Abraham puts up a big fight. He says that would be immoral. He doesn't really put up any fight. He just says, yes, dear. If that's on the list. And he does, and Hagar gets pregnant, and she gives birth to a son named Ishmael. And in time, in God's providence, Sarah gets pregnant as well. And she gives birth to a son named Isaac. This son is the son of God's covenant promise. Can I just tell you, sometimes you've just got to wait a little longer on God. To do what he says he will do, but he will do it. I want to pick up this story, though, with a very tender place in Scripture. Genesis 21, beginning with verse 8. Because as you can imagine, there uh, comes some tension in the home after this. And the child grew and was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, laughing. 
So she said to Abraham, cast out this slave woman. Do you, do you hear the distancing of that language there? Not cast out Hagar, not even cast out my servant, cast out this slave woman. It's important when we're, when we're sinning against people, when we're doing people wrong, for us to put some kind of distance in our heart between them and us, to make them less than we are. And this is what Sarah's doing here. Cast out this slave woman with her son. For the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son, Isaac. And the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son, right? Because Ishmael was Abraham's son too, not just Hagar's. But God said to Abraham, Be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you. Now don't take this too far, wives, this morning. <laughs> Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. God is reaffirming the covenant with Abraham and Abraham and Sarah's son, Isaac. But... Look at God's great care. Verse 13. And I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also, because he is your offspring. Even in their sin and impetulance and impatience, God honors the covenant relationship he has with Abraham. Never confuse your disobedience and your unfaithfulness at times with God's posture toward you. God doesn't walk away from his people. He's present even in and sometimes especially in the darkness. Verse 14, so Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder along with the child, and sent her away. Now, this was, this was nothing but um, an extended execution. To send a slave woman away with a child into the desert was to send her to her death. Abraham knew that. She knew that. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the child under one of the bushes. Then she went and sat down opposite him, a good way off, about the distance of a bow shot. For she said, let me not look on the death of the child. And as she sat opposite him, she lifted up her voice and wept. One of the saddest pictures in all of Scripture. This woman, who had so been used all of her life, now used to the point of not only her own death, but having no power, no ability to do anything but to sit back and have to watch the slow death, likely from dehydration or exposure, of her only son. Verse 17, and God heard, and God heard. Now, you guys are thoughtful and smart students of the Bible. You know that when it says God sees, God hears, God remembers, it's not saying God wasn't listening before. God is about to do what? 
He's about to act. He is about to act. And God heard the voice of the boy. That's tender. Not only, obviously, is God hearing the cry of the mother, but God's going past that listening to the tender voice of the boy. This would have been, this, this kind of God, this picture of a God who listens to the voice of a child would have been absolutely unheard of and unthinkable in the day in which Genesis was written. The gods did not concern themselves with children. And he called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Up, lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Some of you will notice that covenant language. Now, he's not going to be a covenant son. This is not going to be a covenant nation. This is where Muslims and the nation of Islam traces its heritage back to Abraham, not through the lineage of Isaac, but through the lineage of Ishmael. But God is still honoring the relationship that he has with Abraham and all of Abraham's descendants. I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. And she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy, and he grew up. Again, this is covenantal language. God was with Abraham. God was with Isaac. God was with Ishmael. He lived in the wilderness and became an expert with the bow. He lived in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. What Abraham and Sarah did to Hagar was unjustifiable in every way. Using her out of impatience with God, sending her away with her child to death when she became an inconvenience. And yet, God's purpose overcomes it. There's nothing, nothing that can be done to you or that has been done to you that God's purpose for your individual life within the corporate nature of his people and his redemptive purposes cannot overcome and will not overcome if you will walk with him. God's purpose can also overcome what you've done or failed to do. God's purpose can also overcome what you've done or failed to do. Sometimes it's not what's been done to you that haunts you. It's what you've done that haunts you. Or maybe what you've failed to do that whispers to you at night, you'd be in such a different place right now if only you had done this. Or if only you hadn't done this. But God's purpose won't be thwarted by our actions or inactivity either. Galatians chapter 1, we find the Apostle Paul, a little bit of Apostle, the Apostle Paul's autobiographical story of how he went from a very zealous Jew who loved God and knew God and sought to be faithful to God and serve God, but rejected Jesus of Nazareth as the Messiah and sought to persecute and, and stomp out what he believed was a heretical sect to the Apostle Paul who writes the majority of the New Testament. 
you look at Galatians chapter 1, beginning in verse 13, you find some of Paul's story here. He says, For you have heard, you've heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently. I like that he adds that descriptor, right? Persecution is by nature violent. But Paul says he was sort of an A-lister at it, right? He was a first-string persecutor. I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult anyone. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem, which was uh, the head of the church at that time, where all the, the influential new Christians were, to those who were apostles before me. But I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. What Paul is saying is that all of my life God held in his capable, sovereign hands. I was kept in God's goodness. And God, in spite of what I had done in my ignorance, in my failure to worship Jesus as a Messiah, and in my persecution of those who did, at the time that was pleasing to God himself, he revealed to me the truth of Jesus Christ, his Son. Such a powerful picture because Paul says he was set apart from birth, from when he was in his mother's womb. Before he was born, this was God's purpose. Don't ever think that you have enough power in and of yourself to completely destroy God's purpose for your life. It didn't get worse than Paul right then when it came to the plan of God. And yet... At a moment of God's choosing, verse 16 says, He reveals His Son to the Apostle Paul. He causes the blinders to fall off. He shows up on Paul's way to Damascus and just blows up his world and saves him and redeems him, commissions him to preach the gospel among the Gentiles, to preach the gospels to people like those foreign pagan astrologers who had come and worshipped the newborn baby Jesus. One of the ministries that um, I'm beginning to be more and more and more interested in is a ministry called God Behind Bars. God Behind Bars. And uh, it's, it's growing uh, like wildfire across our nation, doing ministry to those who are incarcerated and their families. Um, this year, last year, the last few years, they have been able to arrange in prisons across the country um, hundreds and hundreds of first-time visits for kids to see their incarcerated mom or dad at Christmas time. They've got new churches being started in prisons. Um, they're partnering with churches uh, to do re-entry care to help lower the recidivism rate uh, of men and women incarcerated. 
Um, they're partnering with churches to help care for and educate families and support families of those who've been incarcerated. But I was watching a video yesterday of a woman who's serving a 10-year sentence in a women's prison. Um, and one of the individuals who was in there preaching uh, as a part of this ministry, uh, God Behind Bars, uh, was preaching. And this woman was one of many who gave her life to Jesus Christ, who for the first time saw her sin and her rebellion for what it was, not just ultimately issues with her fellow man, but issues between her and her creator. And God saved her. And I watched her baptism as they lowered her into a trough, just like we do baptism down here with. And tears were flowing down her face and her body was shaking. She was filled with such emotion. They brought her up and she thrust her arms up into the air. And she said loudly, thank you, Lord. Praise you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And as they stood her up and brought her out, she said, thank you, God, for my new church. And people clapped and sang, because they're her church. They're all in prison there, but they are her church. Nothing stops the purposes of God. God is at work, redeeming lives. Nothing that you've done or failed to do in your life can thwart the purpose of God. Writ large or individual in your life, if you're willing to walk in cooperation with God's Spirit in your life. Let me give you one more. Let me give you one more. God's purpose can overcome what's done by rulers and nations as well. God's purpose can overcome what's done by rulers and nations as well. It, well, I'll say it this way. It feels like a very turbulent time to be alive right now. Am I, am I the only one that it feels like that too? Um, it may just be that we know so much more lifetime than any people in human history have. But watching the news, being a student of the news, is not a fun task right now. Our world is chaotic and crazy and volatile. And yet, and yet, the purposes of God cannot be stopped by what rulers and nations decide. Back in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, Paul is, Paul is building this case that before Christ came, we were like uh, minors with an inheritance. The inheritance of the elect was there, right? Because God had determined it to be there, but they couldn't access it. And then when Jesus came, he gave us that access in verse 4, Paul writes in Galatians 4, but when the fullness of time had come, when all of those prophecies laid out throughout the Old Testament came to pass, and the condition of things were just right for the advance and spread of the gospel of Jesus Christ, God sent forth his Son. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. So that we might receive adoption as sons. In the fullness of time, that means God was at work in the, the, the raising and the falling of empires, of kingdoms, of nations, of rulers, bringing the entire um, act of human history toward the fullness of time in the birth of Jesus Christ. 
And we see this even in the verses following chapter 2. We know in the verses we just read that Herod has no intention of worshiping Christ. That's why verse 3 tells us in Matthew 12 that he's so troubled. If you'll notice, Herod's always referred to as the great or the king. Jesus is the child, the child, the child, the child. There's nothing great or kingly about a child. They cry all the time. They poop on themselves. They pee on themselves and on you. They want what they want when they want it, and they will scream if they don't get it. And Jesus was the same way. Herod the Great, Herod the King, and then here comes the child, the child, the child. But little does Herod know, he's not the center of the drama unfolding here. The child is Herod's troubled. He has no intention of bowing, of placing his sword before Jesus. In fact, he's going to do away with Jesus, but God is going ahead of Herod. He says, hey, Joe, get Mary, get the baby, and get out of Dodge. Herod's coming. Go to Egypt. An interesting choice to send his people for freedom and safety to the very nation that God had redeemed them out of in the Exodus. But that's what God does. And God is still doing that. No matter what the news says, no matter who reigns over this nation or that nation, no matter who invades who or whom, God's purpose advances. And His purpose can overcome what's been done to you, His purpose can overcome what you've done or failed to do. And his purpose can and will and does and always has overcome what rulers and nations do. Maybe it's dark for you. Not for all of you, right? Some of you, you came in this morning and you're filled with joy. It's a good season of life. And you celebrate and thank God in that. But there are some of you this morning. And it's dark for you. And you're hearing this and you're thinking, yes, but God isn't moving. Yes, but God isn't responding and replying to my prayers. And you wonder, what do you do when you just don't see the kind of faithfulness and fruitfulness that we're seeing in Scripture this morning? I I want to just encourage you, one, by saying you are certainly not the first person to struggle with that. And you won't struggle with it alone right now unless you choose to. Because there are brothers and sisters in your church who are walking through the same thing. And there are brothers and sisters in here this morning who have walked through those seasons and can testify to God's faithfulness even in that darkness. But I want to read to you just a few verses from the book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk is one of the minor prophets. We know as little about Habakkuk uh, as we know any of the minor prophets. But in chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, we find something of encouragement. Habakkuk 2, verse 1. I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me. The the prophet here is saying, I'm going to stand my post and and I'm going to wait on God. I'm going to to be eagerly anticipating What God is going to say to me. What's he doing? He's looking for God to reply. 
He's looking for God to respond. If you see chapter 1 and you read chapter 1, he's unnerved. And many of the people of God are unnerved at the growing injustice around them, at what they see as the, the exaltation and the success of people who hate God and hate them. They see what they perceive to be their pain and their petitions and prayer to God going unanswered, and they're struggling. He says, I'm going to station myself, and I'm going to look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. These are his complaints, the complaints of his people that he's taking to God, and he's going to take God's answer back to his people, the complaint that God is silent toward injustice and toward the prayers and pain of his people. And look at verse 2. And the Lord answered me. The Lord does answer, church. The Lord does answer. Some of you have prayed long enough and hard enough that you've seen that to be an absolute visceral truth in your life, that God answers prayer. Not always, not every time, not every time when we want Him to, but He does answer the prayers of His people. The Lord says to Habakkuk in verse 2, write the vision. He's saying, don't, don't take for granted what I'm about to tell you. I don't want you to forget it. As the days pass, make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. For still, listen to this, still the vision awaits its appointed time. God is in control. He's in control of your life, your family, your marriage, your finances, your future, your health, his world, his church. And everything has an appointed time. The vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, notice that God doesn't say, if it's slow. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. And this morning when it comes to the faithfulness of God, to the purposes of God, which can't be overthrown or outrun or outdone by what's happened to you, by what you've done or failed to do, or by what leaders or rulers of kingdoms and nations on earth do. This purpose and this care for creation and redemption of His people, restoration of all things, requires a response from us. We see in Matthew chapter 2 just what we read, three responses. And all of us leaving this morning in just a minute will be leaving with one of these three responses to the care and faithfulness and goodness and sovereignty of God and His purposes in our lives and the world. We could respond like Herod did. We could respond with antagonism. I hope we don't. But hundreds of millions of people do every single day. I don't want God. I don't want anyone else on the throne of my life. I don't want anyone else driving my car. I will not lay down my sword. I will be my own God. We can respond with apathy. It's amazing when we see Herod call in all the chief priests and scribes of the people of Israel in verse 4. 
and inquires of them where this Christ child is going to be born. They simply tell him, no interest in it, no desire to go see what's going on, no intrigue to ask Herod why he's asking this now, what might be going on in his life, what these three foreigners are doing here. Just apathy. They were so familiar with it, they didn't care. They didn't care. Or we can respond, interestingly enough, like the pagan foreigners did, in adoration. And we can lay everything that we have at the feet of Jesus and say, I belong to you. If you've never done that, that's the most important thing you could do this morning. And, and it doesn't require anything special of you. If God's Spirit is broken through to your heart this morning, and you know that your response has always been antagonism or apathy, but never adoration, and yet this morning something different has happened. Just tell them that where you are, without any particular concern for specific wording or language. Just acknowledge your sinfulness before Him. And your trust in Jesus as the Son of God, as your Lord and your Savior, while counting the cost of what that means, that you lay everything at His feet and follow. Let me ask you to stand. I don't know what your darkness may look like this Christmas season or this morning. It may look like the, the loss of a loved one that clouds every day and every breath right now. It may look like uncertainty in your own health and maybe uh, for the first time you're, you're facing failure in your body in ways that you don't understand and you can't control. It may look like fi financial struggle under which you feel the stress is going to crush you. Maybe your darkness looks like loneliness this morning, that for reasons you don't understand, Christmas is deeply, deeply lonely to you. Whatever it is, I want to encourage you that God does beautiful work in the darkness. He's there. He's active. And His purpose will stand not only in the world and his church, but in your lives individually. Let's pray. Thanks so much for joining us online at the Lost Mountain Baptist Church podcast. For more information about service times, giving, and upcoming events, check out our website, lmbc.us.